Welcome to Apostolic Life in the 21st Century, a podcast dedicated to helping modern-day believers live out the teachings of the first-century church. This podcast is part of the teaching ministry of Dr. David K. Bernard. Dr. Bernard has dedicated his life to studying the Bible and helping believers apply its message to their daily lives. In Apostolic Life in the 21st Century, Dr. Bernard answers your questions about what the Bible teaches and how those teachings apply to everyday life. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Throughout world history, the threat of war and violence, of course, has always loomed on the horizon. And earlier this year, we saw Russia invade Ukraine and members of this audience have undoubtedly heard the reports, seen the photos of the resulting death, the destruction, and our hearts certainly go out to the victims of that conflict. As Christians, we seem to face a perpetual conundrum. The world is full of war and violence, and yet on the other hand, we have teaching the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount where he made statements like, resist not evil, or to him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also, and from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. So does this mean, if we interpret Jesus' words literally here, does this mean Christians in Ukraine and elsewhere were supposed to just roll over and let evil people destroy our homes, kill our families and our neighbors and steal our stuff? How, how should a Christian interpret this in a world that's full, filled with, with uh, the types of things we've seen just this year? This is a difficult question, and it's difficult because we as Pentecostals, we, we feel like we're countercultural. We have a new citizenship, a heavenly citizenship. We have a new way of life that's different from the life of the world. So for us to kill people is part of the old life, is part of the sinful life, uh, is part of the world, and we're withdrawn from the world. However, we are still in the world, and evil is still uh, all around us. So if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, you would get the idea that we, Jesus says, don't resist evil and don't and turn the other cheek. And if someone sues you and they win the lawsuit, give them more than what they ask. And if they ask to borrow money, and, and this would be in a personal context, somebody needs food, can you borrow? We'll just give them the money. Well, all of that would indicate we should be nonviolent. However, as commentators have pointed out, this is speaking of personal relationships. So yes, in a personal relationship, if someone comes up to you and slaps you, you shouldn't pick a fight and slap them back. You should just stand there and take it. Or, you know, somebody uh, mistreats you. You should not try to be vindictive. You should still show love towards them. But does that really relate to a whole society? For example, a, a war where an aggressive nation attacks you. Or even in your home, uh, someone breaks in your home and is threatened to kill your family. It it seems like the Sermon on the Mount is not directly addressing. It's talking about reconciliation and personal relationships, not these cases of defense. So then some people go to the Old Testament where Israel fought battles and killed enemies. And so they say, yes, go ahead and kill people. But that doesn't exactly apply either because ancient Israel was a theocracy led directly by God. So they could know 100% if it was God's will. Plus, God had given them the land of Canaan, was going to establish them as a nation. So it was a war for, for their survival because through Israel, God would bring the Messiah. God would bring the scriptures. God would bring the new covenant. And so if Israel was destroyed, God's plan would be destroyed. 
And uh, in the case of the conquest of Canaan, God had already judged these people because of gross sins, including child sacrifice and gross immorality. So it was it was a means of divine judgment. Where where we we're not a physically chosen nation today. They're instruments of God's divine judgment. So really, those ancient battles aren't very applicable. Plus, we are living under the new covenant with a higher standard of life, being filled with the Holy Spirit. So. Generally, I, I think the the battles of the Old Testament be, would be transferred to us in a spiritual form where our battle is with the devil, not with another physical nation. And Jesus even alluded to that in John chapter 18 when he was on trial before Pilate. And Pilate was asking, well, are you a king then? He says, well, my Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, then my servants would fight. So he, he indicates no, you can't directly use the Old Testament unless you transpose it. Our battle, as Second Corinthians 10 said, is, is a spiritual battle. We do not uh, wrestle, we do not war against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness in high places. So that indicates we don't just have a blanket statement that, yes, we can go kill people or, or, or be part of a, a militant army. So we've got two opposites who are struggling. So the, the early Pentecostals, the early 20th century, uh, the, the Trinitarian Pentecostals and the Oneness Pentecostals, most of them chose the, the, the statement that we're going to be conscientious objectors, that we will not kill people. And if we're drafted in the army, uh, thankfully, the, the U.S. has a policy that you can uh, say that you're a conscientious objector, that you're willing to serve as a sl- supply person, as a chaplain, as a medic. You're willing to support a defense, a rightful defense of your country, but you don't want to be the one who kills people. You're a conscientious objector. So most early Pentecostals took that position. It was not a uniform position, but that seemed to be the true majority. In fact, the UPCI originally in its Articles of Faith had a statement like that. Uh, We did have some people who, some of our ministers, I remember one of our ministers in particular, um, you know, the story was told me afterwards, but during World War II, he was drafted. He chose to be a conscientious objector. The government refused to accept it, and so they put him in prison um, because he refused to uh, go into combat, and they refused to accept his conscientious status, and so he ended up serving time in prison rather than violate his conscience. And so I, in my lifetime, I've seen what I think the majority of our ministers would have been conscientious objectors. Probably today, that's not so. And so actually, uh, that statement stated in our manual, in our Articles of Faith, mainly to protect those who were conscientious objectors. But U.S. law changed. It used to be that if you wanted to prove your status, you had to belong to a group that had that belief. And so we kept that statement in our books, even as our ministers began shifting, because we wanted to protect those uh, who had this scruple. But as a result of the Vietnam War, the U.S. Supreme Court decided you do not have to prove that you belong to a group that's holding this teaching. If you yourself have a conscientious objection, you can still maintain it on an individual basis. And so that removed the pressure. And so under my tenure as general superintendent, we actually removed that original statement from the Articles of Faith. We replaced it with a statement that's saying we hold, we value human life very greatly. 
It's a difficult subject, and so we respect those who choose to be conscientious objectors, but we also respect those who feel that they can choose to serve in certain capacities. So we really allowed both views, and we have a position paper that explains it in in great detail. Well, if you are not a conscientious objector, then the typical Christian alternative has been a just war, because no, no major Christian group will say, oh yeah, just kill people. You know, Hitler was right. Putin is right. You know, whatever your country says, do it. At the minimum, we feel like, well, you could only participate in a just war. So that would typically be a war of aggression would be evil and sinful. You shouldn't participate in it. a war of defense or defense of a neighboring country or et cetera. Well, of course would be okay. Uh, but it also has to be somewhere you, you treat people humanely. You don't kill prisoners you try not to kill civilians. So there'll be a lot of things where you're trying to do it as ethically as possible. Of course, the problem there is how do you know it's a just war? So let's say you're a Russian and you're told to fight. Well, all the propaganda is we're, we're killing Nazis. And these people believe that. But from our perspective, it's an evil war. It's a war of aggression. But from the point of view of the soldiers who are drafted, they might honestly believe their government is correct and they're fighting to defend these Russian-speaking people that are being killed by evil Nazis in Ukraine. So how do you know it's a just war? How do you know your government is right? So that that creates many, many questions. And then, of course, with modern warfare, you say don't kill civilians, but if you drop a bomb, it's not going to just kill the soldiers. It's going to kill everybody who's there. And so where do you go with that? In my personal life, what I said is, if it comes time to defend my family, I, I will defend my family, but I will try, I will not intentionally take human life. Uh, I, we, we don't have a draft in the United States and I'm far too old now, but I would have, uh, my father in, was drafted in the Korean War. He chose to be a conscientious objector. He was, he was a supply officer or supply, uh, person. So he wasn't opposed to the war. He felt like it was a just war. He was supporting his country, but he did not be the one to kill people or take capital punishment. I believe there are certain heinous crimes that are deserving of capital punishment. Uh, yet I would not be, I would not want to be the one who would kill somebody. I, I would not want to be part of the firing squad that pulls the trigger to kill somebody. I would want to be the chaplain that goes in there and tries to pray with them to see if they can repent of their sins. And in fact, I have been involved in prison ministry, even with people convicted of heinous crimes, um, even uh, sentenced to death, you know. So my role, so I have a conflicted role. So the bottom line is I believe society does have the right to defend itself in a just war. Um, that law enforcement officers uh, have a valid role to defend civilians, um, and and um, uh, an individual has a right to defend his life and, and his family, and uh, that society has a right to execute certain criminals. But I would not like to be the one to deliberately do that. And you might say, "Well, you're you're being you're being a cop out," but but there is a sense in which we're in the world, but we're not of the world, and so I'm trying to walk that fine line. Um, I remember one time I woke up in the middle of the night, my wife had screamed out, someone's in the house. She heard a noise as it turned out, I think something had fallen. And when I woke up, I was standing in the den with the fireplace poker over my head, ready to hit the person. So I, I didn't have a gun. 
Um, and part of the reason why is I don't want to deliberately kill someone, but I was going to do serious damage to somebody. Um, that was my instinctive reaction, not even conscious thought. So I do believe we have a right to self-defense, but I would just simply say wherever you fall on the spectrum of that, our goal would be we don't want to take human life. That's not, not that's our intention. So if I did hit the guy with a poker, uh, I would hope it would stop him, but I hope he wouldn't die. You know, I'd hope he'd go in the hospital and then from there go to jail, but I wouldn't want him to die because I hit him. So that, that would be my thought. And, uh, you know, here's another interesting point. I, I did a lot of ministry during the Cold War, uh, in communist Eastern Europe secretly. Um, and I remember in the country of Hungary, I was ministering and there was a young man interpreting for me and he was talking about how he had been drafted into the army. Of course, there, they had no such thing as conscientious objector. And he said, well, I, I didn't want to kill anybody. I said, well, what would you have done? He said, well, if I'd have gone into battle, I would have just shot in the air. Uh, that was his personal way of doing it. And then that made me think, okay, what if, and this is not just hypothetical, we have hundreds of house churches in Russia today. We have hundreds of believers in Ukraine today. There's a war. What if a United Pentecostal preacher is drafted in the Russian army and a United Pentecostal preacher is defending his country in Ukraine and they meet each other in across enemy lines Maybe they even recognize each other. They went to a seminar, a training seminar together. They got ordained together. Is it okay to shoot your fellow United Pentecostal preacher and kill him because of your country? And, you know, as far as you know, your country is right. But what if you're a Russian and your country is wrong? Would you actually stare that UPC preacher in the eye and kill him? So that personalizes it. And you may say, well, that's not fair because that's not the normal. But that's that brings it home. These are real people, husbands, fathers, in some cases, moms. Uh, and, and so it does make it very hard. So wherever you fall on the scale of this, I think we have to say war is evil. It's part of the sin of our society. And as I said, the way I end up is saying, I do support the fact that there are just wars, that there is a right to self-defense. There is a right to capital punishment. I think there should be guidelines for as much as possible. And if someone feels they should participate, I support them. I personally would try to choose a situation where I'm trying to administer grace and forgiveness and life in that situation as a representative of Jesus Christ. But I do recognize that there's a diversity even in our own uh, fellowship of how far it's okay to go in that. But whatever you come up with, I think we should pray, first of all, for God to deliver us from situations. I do think many times there can be a miraculous deliverance. And I do believe in cases of self-defense. I've never been in that drastic of a case, but I think I would start rebuking the devil in the name of Jesus and praying and hoping that a miracle would take place. But wherever we fall on that, I think we, we still should pray for God's protection and deliverance. If we are in a situation uh, where it seems like we might have to take human life, there should be some careful thought beforehand of what's, what's the limitations, what's the proper procedure, um, what's the just, the, 
the just way. And it may be a case of the lesser of two evils. It's, it's going to be bad, but you try to have the least bad option in a sinful world, in a sinful situation. And in the end, you have to trust God uh, for deliverance and also, if you are in a situation like that, for healing. Um, I read a very powerful book by David Grossman called On Killing, and he's a former military officer. But he explains how the instinctive human reaction is not to actually kill someone. And so in ancient times, and even as late as the U.S. Civil War, they've done studies of picking up bullets after the battle, and they found that the vast majority of people, soldiers, did not actually kill anybody. The only explanation should be a lot of people just shot blindly because they couldn't bring themselves to look at a person and aim and try to kill that person. So even in hand-to-hand combat or in um, shooting, the vast majority of times they did what my friend said, just, you know, just shoot. So he says what the military's done in recent times with a professional trained volunteer army is to get soldiers repeating their actions so much that they are instinctive. They don't think of that target as a human, but it's a stimulus response. Pull the gun, shoot, pull the gun, shoot, target, shoot, target, shoot, to try to take away that normal human inhibition that you wouldn't want to look somebody in the face and kill them. So it has to be an automatic response. And of course, with modern warfare and weapons, part of the whole thing there is you never see the enemy. You just push a button or you basically like playing a video game and you never have to face the reality. I'm killing somebody's dad right here. Um, and so I think that's instructive too, that despite all of our, even, even if it's a just case, there's something in our natural human instincts, which I believe is given by God that would inhibit us from deliberately taking a life. And, uh, you know, that's something to think about. And then I'll also point out one more thing in John chapter eight. Uh, there was a woman who committed adultery. She, under the law, she was worthy of death. So there was, they had just cause to kill her. But Jesus said, I'm not going to condemn you. Go and sin no more. So whenever possible, even when there is a justifiable cause, if there's a way that we can grant mercy, that's the New Testament response. And so I lean toward trying to find a way uh, to do what is right and do what is necessary but try to protect human life. Thank you for listening to this episode of Apostolic Life in the 21st Century. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment to give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. We also appreciate it when you share Apostolic Life in the 21st Century with a friend or family member. And make plans to join us again next time as we look at how the Bible applies to everyday life.